stress of our lives. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System, broadcast from St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Stephen Clark. For many of us, the pandemic has not only threatened our physical health, but also our emotional well-being. This means added stress, which can lead to anxiety, a disorder that research shows affects an estimated 40 million American adults and as many as a quarter of all children between the ages of 13 and 18. While an anxiety disorder is highly treatable, less than two out of five who suffer from it are said to receive treatment. With us today to discuss stress and anxiety is Shirley Rodriguez, a licensed clinical social worker and associate administrative director at SBH Behavioral Health. Welcome, Shirley. So, Hi, how are you today, so, Steve? Thank you for having me. Good, good. Sure. So, Shirley, let's start out. Um, are you and your colleagues seeing more patients over the last year and year and a half that are saying they feel stressed? Absolutely. Like most of the nation, you know, we, we are still um, facing uh, the pandemic and adjusting to the new norm, if you want to call it that. And all the anxiety, stress, fears that go with adjusting to living in a world where a pandemic for took over most of our lives for the last 18 months. How, how would you define stress and when does it tip over into anxiety? So stress, when we think about stress, we ask questions about um, what are the stressors, meaning what are the things that worry you the most in your life? You know, clients come to us and discuss different things with uh, the recent pandemic is finances is um, the fear, the overwhelming fear or the obsessive fear of becoming ill and not being able to work. Um, being in crowded places became a big stressor for a lot of people, riding the subway, everyday things that we do that suddenly take on a different meaning. It tips over into anxiety when they interfere with our activities of daily living. Being able to go to work, being able to get out the house, being able to participate in life, so to say, and just even run basic errands like going to the grocery store. That's when you know that it's kind of tipping over to a place where seeing someone may be an option. Is stress always bad for you or is it how you manage it? You know, that's a good question. That, that, that sort of, a, it depends on the individual because we all have different coping mechanisms, right? And we all have different strengths. Um, but to that end is if you learn how to develop strategies, to address stress because stress is, stress is part of life, right? It's inevitable. We're going to have it. Anxiety is part of life. And sometimes people talk about, I work, I work well on, you know, when I have that anxiety energy because it gives me that extra. So when that happens, obviously that's, that's a good thing. But again, when it tips over to a place where you're engaging in more negative behavior, whether you're becoming withdrawal, just stopping some of the regular things that you do, that's when you know it's, it's reaching a, a different point. But developing strategies, basic things, breathing exercises, you know, taking time out for yourself, self-care, um, you know, being able to sleep well, that's a big one. Getting enough rest prepares you and gives you what, you know, the strength that you need to combat anxiety and stress. So a lot of this can be, at least for many people, can be done on their own. I mean, there are self-strategies that you recommend, right? 
right? There's one that's very basic. We call the 444. We could do it very quickly now. It's where you breathe in for four seconds, you hold your breath for four seconds, and then you let it out in four seconds. You could do this anywhere. No one has to know that you're actually doing this. Yeah. I actually do it several times a day, and it just allows you that moment in time to kind of center yourself, center your thoughts, and your breathing. Listening to your breathing also tells you a lot about where you are with your anxiety. So just be more mindful of yourself when we say mindfulness what do we mean by that mindfulness, what, is, what does mindfulness mean so mindfulness is it's what i just described is really being in touch with your your body and your environment and your surroundings and drawing those connections it's taking a moment to just really observe and take in um you know, for, for most of us, we're always on the go and we, we sort of learn how to block out certain sense, sensory things, right? We don't hear the subway if you live near the subway. We, we don't smell the bad air when we're out in certain parts of the city, but we have to stop and really take in using all our senses our environment and how it's impacting us. Does it impact our breathing? Does it impact the way I'm walking, the, the, you know, uh, the way I'm thinking, all of these things? Because, you know, we're very connected to our environment and whether we realize it or not, our environment can really trigger different things in our body, both mentally and physically for some people. So, so you're saying, again, on your last point, so stress and anxiety, can it lead to physical ailments? I mean, you always hear, oh, you worry too much, you're going to get an ulcer or you're going to get cancer. Is that true? Well, if you already have some comorbid, you know, um, uh, medical conditions, if you're already an asthmatic, if you're already someone that has GI problems, can stress and anxiety exacerbate those things? Absolutely. Can it bring on an actual ulcer? No. But it can make existing medical conditions more difficult to manage. We know now more than ever that there is a connection between mind and body and how we feel can affect how we heal. That's why it's important to be in touch with how you feel, because it will affect how you heal, both mentally and physically. Well, what are some of the obvious physical signs of not coping well with stress? Um, these are symptoms that are normally uh, labeled as a panic attack, and a lot of people do visit the ED with these symptoms, and they mimic a lot the sensation that you're having a heart attack. You're, you, you start breathing rapidly. You feel like you can't catch your breath. You feel lightheaded. Um, some people feel physically ill in their stomach. Um, they feel sometimes tingling sensations um, within their arms and their body. And oftentimes they visit the ED and say, I, I think I'm having a heart attack. And they get an EKG, their heart is fine. And as they unpack a little bit of what's going on, it's actually you know a panic attack. It's your body telling you you need a timeout. Is that the time when it's when it's right to seek professional care or should you seek it before it gets to that point? Ideally, you want to seek it before it even gets to that point. But the truth is that this is usually when the person decides, OK, I really need to go see somebody. Or when a professional says to you, look, physically, you're OK, but emotionally, you need to take care of A, B or C. And at that point, it's usually the introduction of some form of therapy. And it doesn't have to be traditional therapy. It could be anything. It could be meditation. It could be Tai Chi, it could be yoga, whatever you can find to help reduce the stress, 
reduces the anxiety, and then in theory, then minimizes any kind of physical reaction your body may have to that anxiety and stress. So if someone comes to you seeking treatment, is it very possible you may just suggest certain coping skills like you just mentioned that they should work on their own so they don't necessarily have to take medication or go through a psychotherapy? Absolutely. That's why assessment is important, right? You have to assess the, the client based on what, you know, what their history is, what their symptoms are, how severe they are, how long they've had them. And then based on that assessment, collectively with the, the client, you come up with, you know, interventions or what they call a traditional treatment plan, which to your point can be inclusive of either traditional talk therapy, meditation, and in some cases where the anxiety has risen to the place of panic and it's interfered with the patient's um, activities of daily living, we may recommend seeing the psychiatrist for um, a discussion about medication options. Well, why do you think many people don't seek help for this? The old age stigma of seeking any type of mental health treatment. Um, as much as um, we see more about it in the media and more people are talking about it, um, there's still a lot of stigma attached to going to see a therapist or going to see a psychiatrist and not being able to manage on your own, you know, that old pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. Um, I'm, I'm hoping now with that's changing because, as I said, there's a lot more um, openness about it and we have more discussions like this forum here. So thank you for having this discussion um, where we normalize the fact that everybody experiences anxiety, everybody experiences stress, and everybody needs help from time to time managing a bad patch. You can go see someone for just a short period of time until you get through that bad, bad patch. And guess what? The skill sets that you develop during that time, something that stays with you forever. Next time you have high anxiety, you may not have to see your therapist. You know why? Because you learn some strategies which you could continue to apply throughout your life. Are there people who do okay with stress and then something sort of tips them over where it's like they just can't deal with it anymore? Is that typical? Um, it's not typical, but it does happen. If I'm going through a high stress uh, period of time and I get some kind of traumatic news, it could be something like a loss um, or, you know, something happens at work. Because I'm not at my best emotionally, I may not be able to manage that kind of shift you know, because of the level of stress I'm in. So it can happen depending on, you know, where the person is at. Um, a lot of people, you hear them say because they're feeling very stressed out that, gee, I need a drink or I need to smoke some weed or something like that. Does that help or is it counterproductive? It can be very counterproductive. These are mood altering substances which can interfere with your natural ability to deal and cope with these stresses. Look, I'm not saying that having a, a glass of Chardonnay is going to throw you over the top. But if you have two glasses of Chardonnay a week and suddenly that's grown to five or six, you're not managing your stress in a healthy way. And you're really, you know, moving in the wrong direction. 
So to your, to your question very concretely, substances do not assist. Sometimes they can hinder your ability to self-heal. Do, do you believe in holistic treatments like acupuncture or aromatherapy or music therapy or stuff like that? Absolutely. As I stated earlier, you know, what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for the other. Whatever works for you, it could be yoga, it could be the aromatherapy, it could be acupuncture, it could be Tai Chi. All of these things can help a person reduce their level of stress, which in turn reduces anxiety, which in turn reduces any kind of physical you know, response to that anxiety. So it's just finding what works for you. And part of therapy, yeah. therapy sometimes is just unpacking that. Right. And discovering what does work for you. That's why trying different things is important. Being open to the experience of finding out what really helps reduce your anxiety. Understanding that we're all very individual creatures. Right. Right. Um, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, that's what they say. say. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with at St. Barnabas Hospital, they opened up a recharge room for staff where people who are feeling stressed out or whatever can come into this room and you've got scenes of, you know, a beach or, um, you know, a mountain or what have you, and you've got aromatherapy, you've and got you've the got music, the sound of the so waves, right. Audio, olfactory, and visual, all three. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, so you think it's, it's a good idea. It is a wonderful idea. And for those uh, that haven't been able to visit the recharge room, I suggest you do. It is a fabulous way to, as I stated, recharge in 10, 15, you know, minutes. You don't have to, you know, meditate for a whole 45 minutes to kind of, you know, regenerate yourself. Sometimes just a 10 minute or a 15 minute you know, relaxation, exercise, like going to the recharge room is enough to get you through. Uh, last question. Do children respond to stress differently than adults? I mean, it seems like a very high number of children, according yeah. to some research I've done, seem to be prone to this. Do they do they re respond differently to stress? Do they, they have different do. outcomes? They, they do, and they usually manifest it in behavior. You know, children don't have the, the the language or the capacity to really, you know, verbalize, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. They really don't understand what's going on. And the one way children express feelings and emotion is in behavior. So if you see that your child's sleeping patterns change, their eating um, patterns change, if you, you're getting reports in school that they're less attentive, become disruptive in any way, these can be indicators of a shift in the child's um, emotional state and definitely need to be assessed further. Are they harder to treat than adults in general? I'm sorry, can you repeat for, that? For, are, are, they, are they more difficult to treat for stress-related disorders than adults? I, I wouldn't say more difficult, you just have to be uh, a little bit more creative because again, children can't engage in verbal therapy like an adult can. So with children, we do more um, play therapy. We may use arts and crafts to help a child learn how to navigate emotions and talk about fears and being able to put words together to explain what those things are. Because what does happen with children also is that when they don't know the answer to something, they usually fill in the blank with the worst case scenario. 
So it's kind of doing that reality testing with the kids and helping them realize that everything is not such a big deal and making them feel confident in their ability to do that. Okay. Well, Shirley, thank you very much for some, some time here today. If someone wants to make an appointment with you, is there a phone number they can call? Yes. Um, let me give you the right number. It's 960-3313. Uh, That's our intake this department here at FBH. Um, and that would start you on the path to um, getting connected to treatment. Okay, so that's 718-960-3313. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, for more information about services at SBH Health System, visit www.sbhny.org. Until next time. Thank you.